Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by SKP Creative. SKP wanted to give a special shout out to one of their clients, Care Express Urgent Care. Care Express has been there for our community each and every day throughout the pandemic. Whether that's providing COVID testing or taking care of those urgent care needs that didn't stop when the pandemic started, like broken bones or treating colds and a lot more, the Care Express team has gone above and beyond to provide the care our community needs. Thank you, Care Express, and all of the healthcare professionals who have cared for us the past year. Learn more about Care Express at careexpressfmc.com. Today's guest is Marcy McKay. Marcy is a local author and leadership consultant who has a long history with Amarillo. She used to direct Leadership Amarillo in Canyon. She used to host a local radio show with her husband, Mark, and she's an award-winning writer. Her most recent nonfiction book is called When Life Feels Like a House Fire. It's based on how she dealt with, well, house fire in her Amarillo home a few years back, and we talk a lot about that. But she wrote this book during the pandemic for readers dealing with COVID-19-related stress. It's been incredibly well-received. And despite the relatively heavy subject matter, this was a fun interview. So here's Marcy McKay. Marcy McKay, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I know you are a radio veteran um, <laughs> and have hosted your own show for years and years, so I'm glad to have you on the other side of the, the hosting duties. And I know that we've got a lot to talk about, but the, the place that I like to start is by asking my guest, why are you here? How did you end up in this area in the first place? I am from Amarillo, born and raised. My my mom is is from here. My uh, maternal grandfather was here. My people are from the Texas Panhandle. So Amarillo is is home for me. Uh, I went to school at St. Andrews, then Wolflin first through third, then back to St. Andrews, then Austin Junior High, then Tascosa High School. I graduated from Baylor University. Um, moved to Austin the second I got my diploma and then married an Amarillo boy, Mark McKay, in 1990. And we moved back to Amarillo in 1994. And we've been here ever since. Did you know Mark before you um, left here? I met Mark on the bus going to summer camp when we were 14. Okay. And it one was... of those summer camp romances. <laughs> that exactly. Went a little bit long. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it was a summer camp called Camp Summer Life outside of Taos, New Mexico. And, um, oh, I hope my husband doesn't listen to this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. We went steady twice that summer, and I dumped him twice okay. that summer. And then we were always just friends after that. We we ran around with the, the same crowd, and he we're the same age. He went to Emerald High his um, sophomore and junior year, and then his family moved to Wolfland, and he went to Tascosa our senior year. We did not date then. We're always friends. 
friends in, in college, he started out at SMU and I was at Baylor. So he would drive through Waco a lot to go visit his friends at the University of Texas. So, you know, we'd stop and he'd stop and we'd have lunch and we wrote letters in, in college and he was always hilarious. And then um, we started dating September Labor Day weekend when we were 23. And then we got married 12 months later, okay. Labor Day weekend. Now, did you guys, was it part of the plan to come back to Amarillo or not did that kind of happen organically? Not, not, not at all. Um, we were, you know, young professionals in, in Austin and he at the time was a stockbroker for Merrill Lynch and Amarillo National Bank hired him to open up their personal investments division. Okay. And the fact that he was from Amarillo and his wife was from, from Amarillo um, just kind of sealed the deal. And, and at the time, A&B was the third largest family-owned bank in the U.S. I think now it's number one. It's number one yeah. yeah. And so, you know, he wasn't going to have to cold call. He had, it was just, it was just too good of an opportunity. It was the kind of opportunity he should have gotten at 38 instead of 28. And so, you know, we thought we'd do this for about five years. And like I said, that was 1994. Okay. <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> What were you doing at that time? Um, when we first moved back, just kind of, you know, odd jobs. Um, I actually worked for a software company that was based out of Walnut Creek, California, but the marketing department was here in Amarillo because one of the, the owners lived here in, in Amarillo. His name was is Jody Rapp, and so I, I worked for him, and at the time, Leadership Amarillo was going on, and I wanted to go through the program. Um, but the job for executive director came open, and I thought, well, instead of doing it for one year, I'll just be in charge and get to do it every year. And so they hired me to be the executive director of Leadership Amarillo in 1996. And in 1997, Russell Lowry Hart was the debate professor for WT. Mm -hmm. He and I started this program together that I provided the curriculum and we partnered with, with WT um, for college coaches that would come in and facilitate different leadership skills to all the, the high schools in Emerald and Canyon and homeschooled kids. And in fact, the program's still going on. I okay. think they're in like their 23rd year. And so, um, yeah, I did leadership Emerald and Canyon for like seven years. Yeah, yeah, you're tying threads through a whole lot of past podcast <laughs> guests. At, at the, yeah, exactly. Um, well, good job with that. <laughs> yeah. T tell me, tell me about <laughs> that job itself, um, because I know it immerses you in the things that kind of make Amarillo tick. And, and yeah. As somebody who grew up here, like like, tell me what you learned. Oh my gosh, I I learned so much. And and having grown up here, I thought I knew everything about Amarillo, and just got my eyes opened in in so many ways. And and I really walked away from that experience feeling that um, it's not just oh the other side of town. I truly believe that everything that happens to 
each of us affects one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need to have more of a, a we mentality rather than a me mentality. And so everything that happens in this community, good and bad, affects all of us. And so we've we've got to learn how to work together to solve issues in, in the community. And, you know, if, if your heart is more callous, um, financially, it, it makes more sense to deal with things when they're just sort of small problems instead of the leaky faucet thinking, oh, yeah. you know, my, my kids don't go to school there. That's the other side of town. I, you know, I'm, I'm fine, safe, warm in my home. You know, everything affects each of us, good and bad. And so we, we really do need to work together to solve yeah. all the issues of our community. Yeah. yeah. Even if, let's say you're in a bubble and immune from, you know, the poverty that part of town right. experience. That still has an impact on everything related to the city. Uh, Underserved parts of town, that's yep. going to impact everything else. I mean, yep. it's it's uh, it's one of those domino things that you can start something way several miles away, but you'll yeah. feel the impact. Yeah, and and I don't want to go too dark, but um, you know, in when COVID hit, the Associated Press did an article on stress drinking that between March of uh, 2019 and March of 2020, the sale of, of alcohol went up 55%. The sale of online alcohol went up 243%. Wow. Now, that's almost a year ago. So those stats have, have gone up much, much higher. And in fact, on KAMR Studio 4, they had the executive director, I think her name's Shelly Bohannon, of The Bridge that, you know, is like CASA that does advocacy for, for children, that during COVID that they were seeing, and, and her exact words were, um, such extreme child torture, and, mm. and that's a word used in the Texas Penal Code, such extreme e- abuse. Um Physical abuse, um, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, um, starvation—that that that was an extreme during this period. So, I mean, there's a lot going on behind, you know, the funny memes of sourdough bread yeah, and toilet yeah. paper and and whatnot. And you know, it all kind of comes back to our stress patterns and how we deal with crises, big and small. Yeah, I wanted, so I, I, I know that you have become uh, an expert on dealing with that over the past <laughs> few years. Um, but before we get to that point, I, yeah. I mentioned uh, the radio show that you and Mark used to do at, at right. the start of this. Tell me a little bit about that for, for listeners who maybe, you know, didn't encounter it. Haven't, right, haven't right, right. Um, so we came to Amarillo in 1994 for Mark to open up the investments division, um, personal investments division for Amarillo National Bank. And I guess it was in, that was 1994. Then he went out on his own in probably 2003. And that's about the time I left leadership Amarillo because in, in that time, those six or seven years I was at Leadership Amarillo, we had two kids and it was a part-time job. And as my husband teases me, he said I was too competent at it and I grew it into a full-time job. And so here I had, you know, this, this three-year-old and one month old at home and I wanted to be home more with, with my kids. And I knew that it wasn't fair to Leadership Emerald. So, you know, I left that and did, did some, some other things. And I guess we started the radio 
HBO show, let me see, in like 2008 or so with KGNC. And and that was really fun. Um, because, what was it called? Um, <laughs> Smart Money Radio with Mark and Marcy, where dollars make sense. You've said that a number <laughs> of times, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was once a week on Saturday mornings and you know and it was just really fun to um, I don't, stretch your muscles in, in a new way. And, and my, my husband can can talk money and financial stuff. I mean, he gets all starry-eyed, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Where that is not my jam. But I love, I love people, and I love talking, and I love talking to my husband. So it, it was really a, a lot of fun. And, and the joke was we, we would be out. Um, I guess I have a, a unique-sounding voice, and I have a very unique laugh, but there was more than once we be in a restaurant and someone would turn around and go, are y'all that financial radio show? I recognize your laugh. And my husband, you know, my husband did all the work, mm-hmm. all the work because he's the financial whiz, whereas I was the sparkle. Yeah. You're the color commentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it would just irritate him so much. He's like, I do all the work, yet they recognize your laugh. And I'm like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> to, I mean, that Doing that for 10 years, 12, you know, 12 years yeah. during, you know, that stretch, there was, there was a lot of stuff changing in the oh, radio man. world during that. Yeah. I mean, and a big switch into podcasting and on demand and digital versus some of the analog stuff. Right. Which was, I mean, that was in transition probably when you started. Absolutely. Um, tell me about that period and kind of how, you know, th- how you learned that medium and, and all that stuff. You know, since we did the show for KGNC, they took care of all that. More so what we really noticed. I mean, we started the podcast right before the big stock market crash of 2008. And that was like the first thing Mark talked about. And the uh, radio show got complaints because they were like, he's too negative, blah, blah, blah. It was a negative time. And then it all came tumbling down. And he was like, dude, told you so. You know, he was like, "I I don't care if you are a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I'm just telling you what I see out there. And and so that wasn't always well received. But yeah, the the financial world, it's it's been quite a roller coaster. The whole world's been a roller coaster, I feel like, for the past 12 years or so. Just got to learn to roll with the punches. So I I know the last few years of your life have seen another shift in kind of what you do. You know, it's even as a parent with kids growing older and, right. and that kind of thing. Uh, walk listeners through a few of the uh, events that I know have been a big part of your story over the past few years. Um, let's see how how to do it <laughs> succinctly. Um, the the big thing was was the the house fire that that you know about. I guess that was 2017. Um, Our daughter Mason was in her sophomore year at Trinity University at um, in San Antonio. Our son Luke um, had just started like the week before his senior year at Emerald High School. And he was doing, you know, the the IB program, the International Baccalaureate program, you know, had a great, great uh, group of friends. And, you know, since you already have a, a child in college, you understand what a big deal it is looking for colleges, visiting schools, you know, trying to determine what's the, the right thing for you for the next four or five years. You know, we were about to embark on on the, the next big thing, and we knew that we were going to be empty 
nesters yeah. in about 10 months. And so there was, we already knew how, how heartbroken we were when our daughter left, even though she thrived and it was such a, a joyous time for her, but we just kind of knew what to expect. And so, um, August 25th, 2017, I was home alone um, working on my my second novel. My first novel had been really well received and won won awards. Second book was not going well, <laughs> you know, and you understand how how that goes. And our house alarm went off, and I'm you know I've, I've got wet hair. I've just gotten out of the shower. I'm barefoot. I'm tipping toeing through through my house as the alarm is just screaming. And Jason, there's nothing. There's no smoke. There's no fire. There's no burning smell. And and I'm just kind of, you know, and yet the alarm is just screaming through my head. So I pick up the phone and I call my husband and I tell him what's happening. And I said, should I call 911? He's like, yes. I'm like, okay. I hang up. I don't call 911. I keep walking through the house trying to figure out what's wrong. Yeah. So um, I go into the living room and we have a pug named Nick who's always sleeping. You know, he's he sleeps like 23 hours a day. And so he's always asleep um, in the, the den. And I walk in there and he is just standing up on all fours in the couch with his little pug bug eyes, just bugging out, looking towards our, our backyard. And I'm like, Nick, what's wrong? Well, he didn't answer me, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, let's go to the backyard and check on the other dog. That's where Gypsy, our yellow lab was. And meanwhile, you know, the alarm is just screaming and the yellow lab go out there and it's just like this perfect sunny day. She is running, just racing laps around our backyard. And and at first that didn't strike me as odd because she was always a, a hyper puppy. And I turn around and look at our house and like smoke is rising from the roof line, not the chimney, hmm. the roof line. And that's when I whipped out my phone and called 911. Now it took me five minutes to tell that story, but from the time the alarm went off to the time I called 911, it was two minutes and 13 seconds. Hmm. That's really not long. So call 911. Um, you know, I'm gathering up the, the dogs and I'm walking through the house and I had gone through the kitchen before with the pug to check on the other dog coming back through and flames are just shooting out. And I mean, like I'm on the phone, you know, I'm like trying and, and it just, it was just surreal. It, it just was this out of body experience that I'm trying to stay calm, but yet I just can feel my, my anxiety. I'm just wanting to scream policeman is at my doorstep before I even, you know, while I'm still on the phone yeah. with 911. Five fire trucks are there, and that's when everything changed. And it was one of those things, Jason, that um, the house did not burn to the ground. I mean, they, they were able, what, what happened, we had, it was an old 1950s ranch-style house, and it was old, faulty wiring in the attic. And okay. we had had a fan running um, in the kitchen above the, like the vent, yeah. above the the stove that had been running. And that's what caused the fire. So we and that's why you didn't see it, because and, and it was confined to the attic It was confined to, to the attic, absolutely. So, um, you know, long, long, long story short, we, we could have moved back, but it's the smoke damage and the water damage was so severe, they had to empty the entire house 
house, everything in it. Um, we, you know, sat there and debated, you know, do, do we move back home? Do, you know, do we tear it down and rebuild the house of our dreams? Do we move back to Austin? You know, what what do we do? And so, and, and everything takes so much longer than you think it's going to take. And so it was about 10 months that right after the fire, my husband's family has a cabin outside town at the Paladura Club. And so we moved there. And in the meantime, we just learned we really love living in the country. And it was just sort of a, a different vibe. And Mark and I are both the only siblings in each of our families who still live in Amarillo. And, you know, we have parents getting Mm -hmm. older. And so there were just different things happening with our parents health wise that we were like, "We, we need to we need to stay here. So we ended up buying a house out in Sunday Canyon, which is actually two less than two miles from the Paladura Canyon State Park entrance. And so we love it out there. But it just it, it, it was a life-changing experience, even though my house didn't burn to the ground or anything like that. Just I fell apart overnight. I, I was anxious 24-7. I couldn't sleep. Just my heart was always racing, and I just didn't understand. And I I had gone to therapy in my 20s because my, my dad died when, when I was 20, and so... Um, I went to therapy, and that saved me in my 20s. Went to therapy this time when I guess I was 51, and that didn't help at all. Hmm. I went to church more. That didn't help at all. I went to yoga more. I drank kale juice. I... (laughs) You know, I did all the things and it just, it just didn't help. So I jokingly say I I went on a journey to Humpty Dumpty myself back together again. And that's when I learned about stress patterns and trauma and how things affect us physically, emotionally, and behaviorally. And I saw the same things happening to people that happened to me after the fire when COVID hit and my insomnia kicked back in once COVID hit. Hmm. So I just kind of started writing about this because I have an, an email list with my my books of about 8,000 readers. And I was thinking this was just going to be, you know, different blog posts kind of telling them how to deal with this. And, you know, it grew into a 200 page book and you know here we are here we are yeah i was gonna say it you know hearing you talk about it and i think we connected a few months after the fire because our my daughter and and your son were in the same graduating class right and i was just talking to you and you're like oh well you know our house burned down (laughs) um and so i was i was aware of that (laughs) i you know hearing you talk about it and the the time in your life like we could go back and tell a nice story about how, well, it was a chance for us to start over. Oh, we decided yeah. where we wanted to live. Right. We were in an empty nest situation, you know, and it was a good kind of turning point. But like like you said, it was very stressful and you right. had to figure things out. Right. Um, which is, you know, it is, is the occasion of, of talking about your book. I wonder if you could, well, at least tell listeners a little bit about the book that you did end up writing and, you know, how some of those lessons paralleled, you know, the the lessons you learned in House Fire Aftermath paralleled what you went through in this past year. 
Um, I didn't understand, Jason. I'm I'm a quote quote nice girl from a quote quote nice family. I had two parents who told me every day they they loved me. I did well in school. My teachers liked me. Um, I didn't realize that that everybody that stress patterns, things that did or did not happen to you growing up, get hardwired into your body, and and I and I mean that physically and emotionally. And so we we all know those friends that. They keep dating the wrong person. They, you tell them, just have more confidence, and they can't. You know, they're, they're sort of like a scratched record that they keep making the same mistakes. And we we all do it, whether it's your perfectionism, your procrastination, your self-doubt, your overeating, your over-drinking, you know, whatever, those patterns get hardwired into our body. And I saw it so clearly when, when COVID hit, and even though... So most of us who, who listen to this podcast, um, COVID has not been that bad, quote, quote. It still has has triggered our subconscious minds and, and those stress patterns. I mean, if you're a caretaker, subconsciously, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to save the world. You know, if you're a perfectionist, subconsciously, you're thinking, oh, my God, I'm not handling this perfectly. Therefore, I'm failing. And, and you know, the, the stress eating, um, the controlling, the, the bickering with, with your spouse, just everybody. I've heard Dennis say that everybody's teeth are ground down. Oh Over yeah! The past few months, yes. like they're going in and they're saying, "Oh, yes." Have you been grinding your teeth? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So all that is real, and I just didn't understand that that our subconscious mind; those are the thoughts beneath your thoughts. So it doesn't matter um, how often you go to church or whatever your place of, of spirituality is, how many uh, TED talks you listen to, all the positive affirmations that you say, unless you figure out the the subconscious, your subconscious patterns, they're going to keep replaying. And they have come out just 100 fold during COVID because um, our subconscious mind and our nervous systems, they like predictable, they like the same, even if if it's bad, even if you have to go to work or pre COVID when you went to work every, you know, Monday through Friday, and there was that coworker who always bugged you, well, you knew that he or she bugged you and you knew what to expect. So here COVID comes along. And um, we have to wear masks. And that's weird because we're not used to that. It it looks upsetting. Mm -hmm. They tell you to go home and stay home. Well, you know, our our subconscious mind, we're tribal people. And so to be cut off from our tribe, from church, from friends, from work, that's upsetting. And so every day um, has been new, but kind of like Groundhog Day, you know, it's like a new and then you you add in all the political turmoil, all the social justice issues. I mean, this, like I said to you before the podcast, I think they're going to write about this time for decades, and we're just understanding quarantine exhaustion yeah. is real. We and are I, so tired of this. I think everyone will hear you talk about that, and they'll look at their own life right now, and they'll think, oh, you know, I, I see the behaviors that I'm doing subconsciously. I see the way I'm responding to stress. But what may be harder for them to recognize is how that got hardwired into them in the first place. Yeah. Like what happened when I was a kid or what did I learn from my parents right. that made this my natural response? 
Uh, and I wonder what you've kind of found about that, whether it's it's in your own life or in some of the research you've done. Like, Absolutely. What are the things you know that that cause a twelve year old? to react a certain way when he's 28. Right, exactly. That's such a great question. So they're, they're kind of, they're different ways. First of all, you need to start paying attention to your physical stress symptoms. Our, our bodies, we talk about the mind-body connection. It's really just one thing, but it's easiest to figure out when you wake up in the morning these days, where does it hurt? Like for, for me, I have always carried my stress in my shoulders, in my neck, and I've always um, ground my teeth. I've mm-hmm. always clenched my, my teeth. In fact, so much so I had to have braces back. I'm 54 now, but when I was 48, I had to have braces because I was pushing my teeth slowly forward. Where, where's your stress in your body physically? You know, I, I carry a lot of mine in my shoulders. I get I get knots in my right shoulder. Yes. A lot of it is tied to repetitive use, sitting in front of a computer all Same day. Same here. Um, and then right now, I've got a lot of heel pain from running and walking. Which Absolutely. Which is directly tied to COVID because I'm walking more. Right. You know, on a daily basis, instead of instead of going to the gym for several Absolutely. months, you know. So one is your your physical stress patterns, and then you need to pay attention to your emotional and behavioral. So people tend to respond to stress; they're either overfunctioners or underfunctioners. Overfunctioners are Type A, um, control freaks, perfectionists, uh, Marcy, Jason. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> also, uh, caretakers, you know, fixers, you know, got a problem, you know, we, we are the, the go-to people. And then there are people who are, are under-functioners. They tend to not do anything. Or are you stress-eating? Are you over-drinking? Are you trying to control the uncontrollable? Are, are you shopping online and just buying stuff you don't need, but it's 3 a.m. and you can't go to sleep? Are you going to work, but inside? you are shut down. And so all those things get tied into, I guess, let me share about research and then I want to talk about our nervous system. In in 2011, there was um, a study done by the National Institute of Mental Health and the National Institute of, I think it's called addiction, that they studied physical and emotional stress and our bodies light up, our, our brain lights up the same way. And so that means that your physical symptoms can like hurt you to the point, I mean, they can hurt you emotions. So okay. emotions can hurt you physically and and think about it. We even use it in, in our language. Um, he, he died of, of a broken heart. My boss is such a pain in the neck, mm-hmm. you know. That made me want to puke. I mean, you know, we we, exactly 100%. And so we tend to do one or the other. Um, Like when you connect with your friends, you feel better. When you go to your place of worship, you tend to feel better. You go to therapy, you feel better. Or the flip side, you just pay attention to the physical part. You go to yoga, you feel better. You mm-hmm. go play basketball with the boys, you feel better. You go for um, a, a, a jog with, with your dog, you feel better. We need to learn how to connect the dots with all of this together. And so the research has just come out like in the past 10 or 15 years about this mind-body connection because there are a billion nerve fibers in your body, 
over a billion. Hmm. That is billion with a B. And it starts at the, the base of your neck and it goes down your spine, down your legs and, and your arms. So one billion. So only 20% of, of your body's nerve fiber, that messaging, 20% goes from your brain to your body, but 80% goes from your body to your brain. But they haven't taught us this this stuff before because it's like science and it hasn't made its way into the mainstream conversation. Okay. That's why Oprah hasn't told you this. That's right. why Marcy's telling you this. Okay. <laughs> and so that's the stuff that I discovered after the the fire. And and I'll you know I'll, I'll save you all the the Freudian stuff. But because I grew up being perfectionistic, such a good girl, a caretaker. Well, I there's not more many things more intimate than your family's home. So subconsciously, I felt like I had let my family down. So I, you know, we we lost our home that we had lived there for 17 years. It was the only home my children had ever known. And so that's why um, I sort of fell to pieces. And that's why people are struggling right now, because there are these things, there are stress patterns happening at the subconscious level, that it's in their emotions and their behaviors. But that stress is also lodged in your body. And there's there's a compounding effect to it because like put it in the context of you losing your home. You're not just faced with like a lot of stuff you have to deal with insurance and your possessions and where you're going to live on top of working full time, right? Working. (laughs) How do I balance all this stuff? But like, there's also the grief that you had lost something. So much. It was a big part of your family. So much. And COVID has been the same way. Absolutely. All of us are dealing with grief, whether we, whether it's on the surface or it's like internalized because people are dying everywhere. We've Absolutely. lost things. Absolutely. You know, our kids have lost parts of their senior year. Absolutely. Or, but we're also having to like function as a society. Absolutely. Stay healthy. Make right. a living. Still still make a living. You know, if, if you're working full time from home, but yet having to have your kids homeschool full time from home. I mean, that is so much. And, and two phrases that I want your listeners to red flag, Jason, are it's not that bad, or it's fine. Th- those are things we tell our thing our, ourselves all the time, and that's actually you're minimizing your feelings because I kept telling myself that my house did not mm. burn to the ground. We could have have moved back, but just you know we wanted a different opportunity, and it made more sense to. Which I we, mean, it's in po- an optimistic outlook. You're trying yes, to be grateful. You're trying right, to look at the bright side. Right, but but your subconscious mind and those stress patterns are saying. I don't care what you're saying. You're not fooling us. <laughs> yeah, you're not fooling us. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you lots of insomnia, and we're gonna eat lots of cookies and ice cream at night, and open that that bottle of wine, and you know I don't care if it. You think it's not that bad. Your subconscious mind is saying, "Danger, Will Robinson, danger." <laughs> so it's it's really been. Um, uh, again, they're gonna write about this time period mm-hmm. for a long, long time about just the um, psychological uh, effects it's had on on us as individuals, as families, communities, and the world. So what what are some of the, in talking to some of your readers who have read the book and, you know, you've gotten feedback from them, what are some of the things that you're hearing from them? Are, are they, is it giving them a, a, a healthier way to kind of look at what they've been going through? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing that I love the most is people say they feel 
feel uh, they walk away with hope. They're they're understanding themselves more. And, and even if it's things that they already understood, maybe if they did have more of a traumatic childhood, you know, um, I had to be mom to my mom. My dad was cold but aloof. My older brother struggled with addiction. And it doesn't have to, to, to be that. But things that they understood intellectually, they're, they're understanding more how those things they thought they had dealt with are sort of rearing their ugly heads mm-hmm. again these days during COVID. So one of the questions I, I like to ask um, you, especially in thinking about something like this, you're not you're not writing for an Amarillo audience. You're writing for uh, a national and international uh, readership. But you've also spent all of your childhood and all of your adulthood here in Amarillo. Right. Uh, and I wonder, like, as, as intimately involved as you have been with the city, like how this culture has impacted you as a writer and the stuff you write about or maybe your your personality or your outlook like like where would we see Amarillo in your work besides being the place where your house caught fire you right know? right you know that's a really good question. Here's here's a kooky story, but it's really cool and fun. Um, in 2008, I was doing some contract work um, for Lano Cemetery, helping them. I was writing their quarterly newsletter. Now, since you're a writer too, you understand anybody who wants to pay you for your words, you think they are awesome. And, um, including cemeteries. Yeah. It could, but see, I love cemeteries. Oh, yeah. I, I totally, totally That's love cemeteries. That's what I do cemeteries. on vacation. I yeah, go to the cemetery. I just, oh man. So you are my people. And I have been to Lano Cemetery countless times. My, my father's been buried there since 1987. All my grandparents, all my husband's family. I mean, I know Lano Cemetery, but it was the first time that I was driving out there for my, you know, first official meeting with them as as their their writer for the newsletter and I turn off 34th and drive past those wrought iron gates and I heard this voice in in my head and you know I understand you you won't think that's weird but you know for for your listeners writers hear voices and scary when it's in a cemetery yeah exactly and and honestly to this day I don't remember what um, the voice said, but at first I thought, oh, um, I, I realized from it was a female voice and I knew she was homeless. And the backstory of that is when I told my brother I was going to be writing for Lano, he told me a story when he was at Tascosa. He was the runner for a local CPA in town, and Lano Cemetery was in this the the early 1980s. Um, Lano Cemetery was one of this CPA's um, clients. So once a month, my brother would drive out to Lano to pick up their books, and he met this homeless woman who lived at Lano Cemetery. She was a single woman living alone on the streets, and um, people think ghosts and hobgoblins live at cemeteries. And so, and because it had that wrought iron Mm -hmm. fence around it, she would just jump the fence every night, and she felt safer there. And so at first, and and so my brother um, would start, you know, running by Burger King and picking her up some food. And if he saw her, he would he would um, li- give it to her. And if not, he knew where her spot was. He'd leave her the food there. And they kind of got to be buddies. And so at first, I thought, oh, that's that homeless woman that my brother 
told me about. So I go on to my um, meeting, and then that night, for some reason, I was home alone, which never happens because, you know, my son was eight, my daughter was 11, and, you know, I have no idea why I was home alone. But I started writing down what the voice was telling me, and I thought, oh, this is not a homeless woman. This is an 11-year-old homeless girl, and her mom's missing. She wakes up one morning at a cemetery, which is Lano Cemetery, but in, in my, my novel, Pennies from Burger Heaven, I call it Eternal Peace Cemetery, the book opens with this little girl waking up at the cemetery and her mom's missing. Hmm. So, and, and the whole book is full of Amarillo stuff, even though it's this fictional town in the Texas panhandle called Remington. into that environment. That yeah. was enough to trigger. Yeah. And so lots of people from Amarillo have, have read that book and they're like, oh man, I, I see, I see Amarillo. I see the Dairy Queen on I-40 and, and Washington, you know, but I call it all these different things, but they're like, I totally see Amarillo in that. So that was, that was a fun experience. And, and that's a real specific kind of story, which, I mean, every time I, I look at the history of that cemetery, I, I find something new that fascinates me. Um, there's a, a lot of gypsy people buried there. Love it, um, yes. As an aside. But I, I know that, like, you're a creative person. You're living in a community like Amarillo that has its share of a very creative residence, whether yes. it's art, whether it's writing, whether it's dance and music. Right. I, I wonder, given your experience with the city itself, like if, if you can talk about what it is about this area that that really drives that creative, independent kind of spirit. You know, that is a great question. I don't, and my gosh, Georgia O'Keeffe from decades ago. I mean, this kind of launched her career, just the, the stuff that inspired her. In absolutely. Paladura Canyon. Um I don't know if it's the the open spaces, but there there is absolutely something about this area that that draws um, creative types and just the the community that's here. Um, I've that's a great question. I really don't have an answer, but I've met so many people at <laughs> at coffee shops that you know that they're entrepreneurs or they're they're writers or in photography or painting or just some kind of you know solopreneurs that they're just trying to do something off the the beaten path. I don't know. It's just the the vibe here. What what are your thoughts? Because I I honestly haven't given much thought to it. I, I think there's there's something restless about this area, um, because things are always moving. The wind is always moving. Right. The sky is always changing. Right. Um, and the people that end up here are very independent and very willing to to work hard to accomplish something, but also very restless. And I think mm -hmm. that restlessness kind of drives a lot of the creative output here. Um, and th there, you know, we, we don't get fenced into to things quite as easily. I, I think a lot of the tumbleweeds that blow across the, the ranch land and then they kind of hop the fence and then yeah. they blow across the highway and then some of them catch up against the fence and some of them bounce back over. And I think Amarillo, there's a lot of that bouncing over where you – uh, you for for luck or for whatever reason, you know, we just are always moving, always developing, always creating things. Absolutely. I love that. 
This episode is sponsored by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings in Amarillo. You know Lazy Boy as a national brand, but some of its stores are independently owned and operated, and that applies to the one here in Amarillo. It's owned by the Hawkins family, who live right here in town. Lazy Boy offers customizable furniture so you can design a look that fits you with special financing and products to fit every budget. Almost everything they sell is American-made, and it's a lot more than just recliners. So visit Amarillo's locally owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings today at 3636 Sansi. Okay, I'm back with the writer, Marcy McKay. Marcy, this is a part of the show I call Eight Straight. Okay. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight fossilized mammals discovered locally, including a shovel-tusked mastodon. I'm always fascinated by the stuff that's found like in Randall and Potter counties, because sometimes they're sea creatures and stuff. That, yeah. And it's, it's a good surprise. Um, you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, so eight straight. I ask these questions of most of my guests, um, and you can answer in as much detail as you want to. Okay. I know you won't have any any problem with that. <laughs> What's one thing, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I, I want you to think about it just in terms of a, a resident here um, and not the author of a book, maybe. Right. But what's one thing that 2020 has revealed to you about local people? Um, our resilience. I would say our resilience and our flexibility because everybody learned and had to learn how to do things differently. I mean, overnight, churches shut down and started doing Facebook church. I mean, businesses had to um, go more online or do curbside or, you know, just we all had to shake and bake <laughs> and learn, you had to how learn how to do your job at home if you'd been exactly. in an office, you know, for years. And possibly, you know, with children home yeah. full time, schooling them. So just our resilience and and to keep going. And, you know, what you touched on um, in the previous segment, I think because the panhandle, we are such hardy people. Um, we may be more accustomed to doing hard things than, than other places, but I, I would say our resilience. Okay. What does this area have too much of? My answer is ridiculous because it cannot be changed, but the wind, and I am from here, but oh my gosh, the wind has gotten worse in the last decade. And when it is just howling, and especially now that we live on the rim of Paladura Canyon, Katie bar the door. I mean, mm. if I could change anything magically, it would be the wind. I, I, I found that... Like we are a hardy people here and we get used to the wind. Like you go outside and it's a 20 mile per hour day. Right. Barely notice that. Right. But like there's a point where it just becomes, you know, oppressive. Yes. And once the people who live here start getting yes. that feeling, like you yeah. know it's real bad. Yeah. And then, you know, on top of that already oppressed feeling during during COVID, I've just really had to sort of double down on on days like that to not l let it throw me in a funk. Because, you know, like a day today when we are recording this, the sun is shining, it's beautiful, you know, 50 degrees, it's lovely. But when the wind is howling so bad that you can't go outside, it, it doesn't automatically mean it's going to be a horrible day. Yeah, you know? I mean, three, three days ago, the sky was brown. So. Right, right, the wind. Okay, yeah, 
What does this area not have enough of? You know, the one of the main things I miss during the six years I lived in Austin, Texas, I, I miss like a hike and bike trail. And, and I know there's one, you know, out on, on plains, but I mean, someplace that would be more central mm-hmm. and big and just, you know, people and more congregate. scenic. I mean, that's not a real yeah. scenic trail. Right, 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 right. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I would say a, a hike and bike trail. I, I think there are a lot of people that have have that same feeling Mm -hmm. and there are um, groups of people working toward that. Um, I think a lot of it is that trees are a big part of those trails and how they feel. And we don't have, we don't have a nice forest to walk through other than maybe Thompson park or someplace. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to, it's hard to get those trees growing in 10 or 20 years. Yeah. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Hardy people with open hearts. Okay. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I think that's a great description, so I won't press you further on I, that I was a public relations major <laughs> at Baylor, so that's, I think in sound bites. That's good copywriting right there. <laughs> What's your favorite local restaurant? You know, Jason, I have not eaten at a restaurant since March 8th. Have so you not? I have not. All right. Have you done takeout or take anything out like that? Take out for Four or five times. Okay. I mean, we have like really, when, when our son had to come home from the University of Alabama, our number one goal was to keep him healthy so he could go home. So I mean, like, I, I, I have bought like gift certificates and stuff like that mm-hmm. to support restaurants. But yes, so I'm- So what do you I, miss the most? I'm, I'm going to name several All and right. I'm going to let myself because I, I mean, there are so many. Well, the last um, answer was short, the, so you can go long The on this one. last restaurant we ate at was on Sunday, March 8th. Um, the El Bracero on Grand. Okay. All the El Braceros are good, but the one on Grand is by far my favorite. That's on Grand across the street from Coyote Bluff, mm-hmm. which also makes fabulous burgers. So that's for Mexican food. Indian oven for Indian food. Um, for special occasions, my husband and I love to dress up and go to OHMS, mm-hmm. Mary Fuller and, and her kids. Great, great restaurant. Um, Baby Crush over in Wolfland Village. I love how, how intimate feeling it is. And then uh, Brent's Cafe. Love it. And, it. and it has everything. It has great burgers. It has, you know, fancy food. I love the community table, just all, all those restaurants. Okay. I don't and, think, and now you've made me hungry. Well, <laughs> I don't think anybody would, uh, would complain about your choices on that one. <laughs> What's your favorite local coffee shop? Uh, Palace. Do you have a particular one? I mean, do you go to the Canyon one since you um, live closer you know, to that? You know, the Canyon one um, really helped heal our broken hearts after the fire because we were living right outside of Canyon at the Paladura Club. And so we would try and work as much as we could, have to deal with fire stuff. And then we would reward ourselves multiple times a week by driving in, you know, around three or four o'clock to Palace on the Square. But I love all of them. They have great vibes, but but I will always have um, just such gratitude to uh, Crystal and Patrick Burns burns in the baristas um, at in Canyon. Are you a coffee shop writer? Like, do you go and write in coffee um, shops? Or you know, I, when I have to really, really focus, I, I, I can't write in a coffee shop. I, I need, I need quiet. I need that. But, but like sort of editing or maybe writing a blog post or returning to emails, kind of doing business stuff, I can do that. But if I need to really focus, I need quiet. Okay. Yeah. 
When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Over a year. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's we not just, long. Yeah. Was was there a, a reason? Were you introducing somebody to it from out of town? Uh, um, an out of town friend wanted wanted to go, so okay. we we went out there. Was it? Uh, did it? Did it meet their expectations? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and you know, uh, especially like going to New Mexico or Colorado, it's always packed. It's always packed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it even just, when the wind is blowing forty miles an exactly, hour, exactly, it is. There. It is always always packed. So it's definitely a a tourist um, attraction. Okay, and last question is: What's your favorite local neighborhood? Oh gosh, you know. There are several. Um, first and foremost, will will always be Wolflin because that's where I grew up. That's where my mom grew up. That's where um, our house was um, during the the house fire. So that is home to me. Let's see. I love Bivens and that historic neighborhood. I love you know the Oliver Eccles and Polk Street and that whole vibe. I love Olson because I had lots of friends who lived there when I was at Tascosa, and that's when I first got to drive. Um, I love over here where where you live in Puckett because when I got my driver's license, there were lots of Emerald High School boys I had crushes mm-hmm. on, so we kind of had a, a route. And then there are some beautiful homes. Um, over by Wonderland in 79107 that we used to take a tour bus tour when I was at Leadership Emerald. I mean, they're just cool, cool. And then El Bracero over there off of Grand Street. I just, I love just driving around in, in different neighborhoods. So Emerald has got a lot of interesting neighborhoods. I mean, even like you said, even the ones that that maybe people would be surprised by, like there's there's stories attached to a lot of those absolutely. old homes there that uh, are fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. And so, um, yeah, I, I love neighborhoods where it feels like a real neighborhood, mm-hmm. like the houses are different and and you just kind of get um, and, and watching the neighborhood sort of change during the seasons and, oh, they've put out their Halloween decorations and and stuff like that. So, yeah. Lots okay. of great neighborhoods. Well, Marcy, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what is one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? You know, I, I would say Leadership Amarillo because um, Lisa Blake and that organization, they are doing such good things to really um, empower all neighborhoods in areas of of the community with leadership tools because again i absolutely believe that everything that happens in this community good and bad affects all of us they have that that teen leadership program that's empowering um young adults that they have a say so even though they're 16 17 18 um and so i yeah i love that so it's leadershipamarillo.org and lisa is a former podcast guest yes she is and she's an awesome human being (laughs) marcy mckay thank you so much for being on the podcast i appreciate it thank you i really appreciate it this was fun i'm good (laughs) and that concludes the episode thanks to marcy for the interview and to our sponsors, Lazy Boy Home Furnishings and SKP Creative, along with Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight. You can find out more about Marcy and her books at marcymckay.com. And as always, this podcast was edited by Angelina Marie, and it exists every week because of listeners like you. 
I especially appreciate the local people who support the show financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Priscilla, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 185. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>